You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We are continuing with our series on miracles. So this is the third one. So I'd like first to turn our Bibles for a while to John chapter 5. If you remember, when we started off this series, we did say that we will be looking into the seven miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically recorded in the book of John. We started off by looking into John chapter 2, isn't it, right? So that was the first miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week, we did say that actually, the manner at which John presented his account of the gospel, John chapter 2, 3, 4 actually is one unit. We did say, if you remember, that John chapter 2 and John chapter 4 are bookended by two miracles in Cana, in Galilee, isn't it? Right? You folks remember that? Now, John chapter 2 talks about a miracle that involves water. If you go to the story in John chapter 3, it also involves water. And interestingly, in John chapter 5, it will still involve water. Please turn your Bibles with me for a while. That's John chapter 5. We'll begin with verse 1. And we'll read down to verse, not 15 actually, but we'll cover verses 1 down to verse 18. Read me if you want to. It says here, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In this pool lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man wheeled me. That man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. So they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? No, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. You've encountered this before, and some of you, perhaps this is your first time to look at this story. So let me just say something for a while. You need to have your Bibles opened right in front of you because we'll be all over the place in a sense. When I was a freshman, when I was in college, I was very careful not to annoy the upperclassmen in the dormitory. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that because I simply do not want to be the marked freshman. You know what I'm saying? Right? Because if you do something, you know, quote-unquote stupid, that would annoy the upperclassmen, you'll have the entire year, the entire semester, the upperclassmen, you're not fisting on you for the entire semester. I'm sharing that because I'd like for us to understand that we are actually in John chapter 5. 
And this was already the junction wherein Jesus finally really got the attention of the Pharisees. This was the time when they started hating this man called Jesus. I'd like for you to know that when we started off in John chapter 1, if you remember in John chapter 1, you know, John simply starts writing about who this Jesus was. And John chapter 2 records his first ever miracle. And that first miracle was actually turning water into wine. You folks remember that. And then we go and proceed to John chapter 3. He had a conversation with a Pharisee called Nicodemus. And then he also had a conversation with a woman at the well in Samaria. In John chapter 4, last Sunday, we remember that you know, Jesus actually did another miracle, again, in Canaan, Galilee, when he had a conversation with his official from Capernaum. So all of those things were applause-worthy. All right? In a sense, people can actually applaud him for that. But this time around, it's kind of different. Because yes, he healed someone. The problem was, he healed the person on a Sabbath. Alright? And I want us to understand, Jesus did all of these things on purpose. We have friends who are like that, they love mining conflict. Yung palaway, medyo argumentative. Let me just put it this way. This was not accidental. Alright? This was done on purpose. Jesus actually did, quote-unquote, two violations. Two violations. First, he healed someone on the Sabbath. You don't do something like that. In fact, you don't even carry something on the Sabbath. No one works on the Sabbath. Another thing, if you remember, when we were reading a while ago, he did say in verse 17, but Jesus answered that my father is working until now. So now, the second violation that Jesus did was he starts equating himself to God the Father. Alright? Now, if you do those two things in front of the Pharisees, true enough, you'll be in trouble. Alright? So you guys get a picture of what we're having here. So now, Jesus does two violations, and he's now a marked man. Meaning to say, all the religious leaders, their eyes are on this man, Jesus Christ. So before we sort this further, let me establish something first. I'd like for us to know that this story, John chapter 5, is simply a microcosm of um, even broader spiritual reality. So, ibig sabihin ganito yan. Kwento to. Alright? So, this is a good story, wonderful story, but it is not just a story. It points all of us to an even broader spiritual reality. Yes, we will understand later. So, let me read verse 1 for a while, verses 1 to 3. Here's what we have. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In verse 2, it says here, Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. Alright? In Aramaic, this is called Bethesda, which is five roofed colonnades. Alright? Here's another thing in verse 3. In this colonnade, in this pool, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. Look at this. Holy or in part. Alright? What does it mean? Partially blind, fully blind. Partially lame, fully lame. Na yung mga uban niya, piang-piang lang, na yung uban na diligod kalakaw. Alright? So there are partially paralyzed, maybe paralyzing half of the body. There are people who are fully paralyzed. In fact, the word that was used here, if I remember, is the word plethos, which means plethora. You're talking about hundreds and perhaps thousands of invalids in one place. Waiting for the 
moving of the water. I'd like for us to be on one page as we tackle this. I'd like for us to create or look into some observations. So here's the first observation that we have. We see Jesus going up to Jerusalem. Okay, that's a fact, right? He was going up to Jerusalem. And when we say going up to Jerusalem, because if you love looking at your Bible, do you guys look at your Bible maps at the back of your Bible? You look at that. Magugulat ka, paano going up to Jerusalem? Jerusalem na sa baba. It's actually talking about elevation. So pag nagbasa kayo ng Bible, nabasa nyo na going up, it's because pataas po yung Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem, and accordingly, in Jerusalem, there was a what? There was a pool. A swimming pool at the ship gate. Alright? So, I don't have any photos here, but I'd like first to look at this. He was in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, by the ship gate, he went to the ship gate, and inside the ship gate, or in the ship gate, there's a pool. And in the pool, there were a lot of invalids. It says here that there were a lot of invalids at the ship gate. I'm gonna give you some details. This doesn't really have any bearing to what we're covering here. But nonetheless, I'm gonna give this. The ship gate, I found out that this was actually mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. When they were rebuilding the temple, it says here, in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, it says here, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests, yung mga priests po, they were the ones who built, rebuilt the ship gate, and then accordingly, they dedicated and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananiah. Alright? Then it says here, in Aramaic, this is called Bethesda. Interestingly, personally, I've never been to Israel, but archaeologists actually found out where this place was. Interesting, isn't it? Right? They actually discovered or they actually, you know, started digging and realized this is Bethesda. They realized that this pool is actually so wide. It's actually so big. Alright? You know how big this pool was? This pool was 20 feet deep. Lalima, no? So pag ikaw, invalid, paralyzed, mulog ka, ano yun? Does it make sense? Yeah, so it's 20 feet deep, and guess what? It has five roof colonies for covering. According to scholars, it's actually as wide as a football field. Alright? So, that's why I said, plethora. Every single, quote-unquote, rejects of the society. You want to find them? You go to this place. And I want us to understand that every time there's a feast in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is always filled with people. Remember? In fact, in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, that's actually a feast in Jerusalem. And there were, what, numbers of or scores of people visiting Jerusalem. Galileans, you know, there were even Samaritans, and even, you know, Gentile people visiting Jerusalem during feasts like this one. And Jesus, together with his disciples, they went, I want to say this, intentionally to the sheep gate. Alright? It wasn't like they were walking and they heard tugs, 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 and then, wait, there's a pool party. No, there's no pool party. Alright? There's a reason why Jesus went to this place. It was done on purpose. So what do we have here? I want us to feel this. Alright? I want us to use our imagination for a while. What do you think, having said all of that about the sheep gate, about the pool in Bethesda, what do you think is the mood in this place? Gloomy? Yeah. Depressing ba na konti? Hopeless. Do you feel that? Like when you get into one place, parang you feel the mood of the place? Sad. There's anger perhaps in the place, right? Irritation. What else? There's tension. There's a spirit of competitiveness here. What do you think? Kahit na invalid sila, may competitive spirit pa dito kasi nagugunan pa pa sa pool. Right? So nag-aaway sila. Imagine if you were the invalid. You ask help from an invalid. 
Parang, paralyzed ko. Ngayon ko tabang sa buta. Parang, bay, bay, tabangin ko, bay. Nay, nag-stare sa pool. Tapos, dinala ka, bay, bay, sa exit na pa doon. Dito sa pool. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. What else? What's the mood of this place? Fear, perhaps. Right? Hopelessness, perhaps some of them or many of them have not been visited by their family. You get the feel of this place, right? Now, what do you think is the smell of this place? This is a place that you don't want to, I mean, if you're honest with me, you don't want to, you know, open your jollibee in these kinds of place. So that's the mood that you have in this place. And then after that, interestingly, look at this. Out of the multitude of invalid, Jesus, John says, zeroes in on one man. He zeroes in on one man. It says here, in this lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, holy or in part, waiting for the moving of the water. Did you notice that you have your verse 3 and then you have your verse 5 in your Bible? You don't have verse 4, isn't it? You don't have verse 4 there, right? So interestingly, your verse 4 is actually added because it wasn't in the original manuscripts. It's actually found in your footnotes. At the footnote of your Bible, that's actually there, right? It's from verse 3, jump straight to verse 5, because verse 4 is actually in the footnote. What does it say? In verse 4, accordingly, it says here, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool. Then it says here, this angel stirs the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. What do we have here? You have, what, thousands of people banking on a myth. Right? You have thousands of people latching their hope, their only hope, on a legend. Quentong Marites. Right? That's what we have here. Now, do we blame them? No. That's out of desperation. They feel like their only help is this myth that people say when the water starts, you know, bubbling or stirring, the angel is there, and whoever gets in there first will be healed of their disease. No records show that that was actually true. Then it says, see, look at verse 5. One man who had been there, who had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? Right? Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Now, what's interesting here is, John records that he had been there 38 years. Now, I want to ask this to everyone. Out of the thousands of people there, why do you think Jesus zeroed in on someone, on this man who had been an invalid for 38 years? I can only speculate, but it could be that if you've been an invalid for 38 years, it only means that you are a fixture in that place. I'm thinking about Dumaguete. I can't think of a person, but I can think of a place. I think all of us will wonder if one day, one morning we all wake up and Lee Plaza is gone, we will all wonder where Lee Plaza is or whatever happened to Lee Plaza. Why? Because it is such a fixture in the city that people will start wondering whatever happened to it if one day it's gone. In the same way, Jesus does all of these things intentionally, and he wanted to what? He wanted to pick 
this person had been an invalid for 30 years because he was a fixture in this place. With everything that I have said so far, I want to ask this question. You can write this question down. Specifically this story. What does this story tell us about Jesus? This specific narrative. What does this tell us about Jesus? Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says here, here's the first thing that this story tells us about who Jesus is. Now, who Jesus was to him could be who Jesus is to you. In verse 6, it says here, when Jesus saw him lying there, look at this one. It says here, and knew that he had been an invalid for 38 years. No one ever told Jesus that he had been an invalid for 38 long years. I don't know with you, but as I read this, I realize that the God that I worship knows me through and through. Tells me then that, all right, people may not fully understand me, but the Jesus that I have, the biblical Jesus that I worship, He knows my pain. He knows my challenges. He knows my struggles. He knows my depressive mood. He knows the relational strains around me. Jesus knew for a fact that this man has been there 38 long years. That's why Jesus said, I know. I was just ministering to someone who felt like he doesn't have any friend. I was just talking with his person and he feels like nobody likes me, nobody understands me. All right? And I was telling him, all right, I think that's a lie. But he said, no, it's the truth. Okay, that's a fact. Now, if that is a fact with the people around you, I want you to understand this. Here's another fact. Jesus knows you. Have you ever thought of it? Why Moses was called a friend of God? So what does this tell us about Jesus? It tells us that Jesus actually knows us. Now, I don't know with you, but I find comfort in that fact. Here's another thing. Look at this. Um, remember the story of the official last week? Remember the story as well of the centurion? When this Gentile centurion came to Jesus and told Jesus, Jesus, just say the word. Just say the word and my son will be healed. What did Jesus say? I have never seen anyone in all Israel who has such a faith as this man. Now, look at this story right here. Here's my question. Does this invalid, this invalid man, does he display any kind of faith? Did he display any kind of faith? The answer is a big no. Jesus asked him, do you want to get healed? He could have simply answered, all right, yes, I want to get healed. I'm in faith for healing. No, he answers, no one. Look at the negative, the 38 years of piled up negativity. No one helps me to the pool when it is being stirred. It tells you something about this man. You know what? He was actually banking his healing on two things. Look at those words. Verse 7. Can you go to verse 7? The man answered, Sir, I have no one. Look at this one. He was banking on a man. Right? 
He was banking on a man. No one, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. He was also banking on a myth. It tells us where this person is spiritually. And I feel like Filipinos as we are, we can actually relate to this. I mean, I don't know with you, but personally, I grew up in a very superstitious home. My mom, oh my goodness. Bawal magwalis sa gabi. Magkakapatid kami, puro lalaki. Pag ilalagay namin yung maruming damit sa hamper, kailangan nakabaligtad. We'll visit this person for hilot or whatever. Some of you folks are like that, isn't it? We bank on legends, on myths. You go to Sikihor for healing. Filipinos love joining a stampede with the black Nazarene. So in the same way, this man is banking on a myth, on a man and a myth. No one's helping. So he displays no faith. So ngayon, okay, teka lang. So si Jesus magiheal kung may faith yung tao. Pwede? So si Jesus hindi magiheal kung walang faith yung tao. Eh? Nope. As evidence in this story. So what does this tell us about Jesus? Yes, he knows. What's another thing? He's a man of compassion. Friends, listen. I want you Open your Bibles, go to the Gospel account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and answer this question. A lot of times when you read the Gospel, where does Jesus gravitate into? To whom does Jesus gravitate towards in the Bible? To the Pharisees? To the religious leaders? To the well-off? No. He gravitates towards, he's drawn towards what? The persons, the people who are needy. The brokenhearted, the lame, the invalid, the blind. People were hopeless and helpless in their situation. Why? Because he's a man of compassion. Even people who displays no faith, Jesus gravitates towards them. It tells us then that he's a man of compassion. Jesus heals. Why? Why does Jesus heal? Because he simply heals. Jesus doesn't heal you because you're religious. Jesus doesn't heal you because complete your attendance for the entire year 2022 in the church. Jesus doesn't heal you just because you're a volunteer in the church or a leader in the church. Jesus heals you simply for His glory alone. And I realize that He actually journeys this person. Jesus is sympathetic to our miseries. He journeys this person. He starts with no faith at all. Zero. Zero faith. He says, do you want to get healed? Ah, blah, 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 blah. You know, people, negative people. Ah, ing anilang ko, pobre ako. I mean, being a pastor, I've talked to so many people. I can't count the times that I have to interject and say, you know what, nothing's going to happen with you if sobra kang pa-victim. Alright? Well, I say that to people lang naman na medyo may relationship ako. Not to everyone. From zero feet. Do you want to get healed? Blah, 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 blah. What does Jesus say? Get up your mat and walk. What does it do? Displace faith. Starts taking his mat and walk. Reminds me then that, oh, true enough, faith comes from hearing. 
when he starts hearing the voice of the Lord, he starts obeying Jesus in faith. You will never, ever be a man of faith if you don't get into God's Word. You know how odd this scenario is? Jesus tells him to pick up his mat. I mean, why? It looks like a prank. You're healing me. Why do I have to pick up my mat? Interesting. Because like what I said, he has been in the valley for 38 years. Probably his mat, his colored green mat. Ako lang yun. Everyone knows this person. He wanted this person to carry his mat because he wanted every single religious leader to see that this person is violating the Sabbath. Because during their time, you cannot carry anything on the Sabbath. Not for the Pharisees to persecute him. No, for the Pharisees to question him so that he will point to the man who healed him, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was actually ready for battle here. It tells us that Jesus knows Jesus is a man of compassion, not just that. It also tells us that Jesus has power. What are we talking about? He knows your situation. He cares about your situation. Iba kasi yung alam niya, he cares for you, pero wala naman siya magawa sa sitwasyon natin. Ang kagandaan kay Jesus, alam niya, he cares about your situation and he can do something about your situation. Amen? Aren't you glad that this is the Jesus that we worship? He knows, he cares, and he has the power to do something about our situation. That day was the Sabbath, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered, The man who healed me. That man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? No, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had. What did Jesus do? That's another odd thing here in this story. It says here, Jesus had withdrawn. Now, Look at the other accounts of Jesus' healings. Here's what he would usually do. He would heal and he would give a lesson. Tama? It wasn't like a random healing. Heal you, heal you, heal you. Bye. No. Heal you and then he starts teaching. The kingdom of God is here. He starts teaching people why. This is the reason why I healed you. But in this scenario right here, he healed this person and he starts withdrawing. Introvert ba si Lord? Why did he withdraw? Look at this one. He withdrew accordingly, it says here, as there was what? A crowd in the place. So, meron akong dalawang question in my mind as I was reading this. The first question is, does Jesus doesn't care? about a life lesson for this person. My next question is, he heals this one man. Lord, you do not care about the thousands. You folks think that Jesus can heal everyone? I want you to understand that Jesus was really up to something here. Do you think that Jesus could have healed him on a Monday? On a Friday, on a Wednesday? Jesus could have done that. Of all days, Jesus healed him on a Sabbath. So meaning to say Jesus is up to something here. It tells us that there's something here. Look at verse 14. I want you to follow this. Jesus heals him. Get up, take up your mat and walk. Bible says Jesus withdrew. Alright, so they didn't get to see each other anymore. And guess what? Nagkita sila ulit. 
According to verse 15, saan sila nakita? Nakita sila sa temple. So, the first person he sees in the temple, here's what Jesus says. See, you are well. Then here's what Jesus says. Sin no more. Jesus tells him, sin no more. Oh. Interesting. You know why? Because it tells us that the issue here is actually not health. The issue here is holiness. A lot of times, we read this story, what's highlighted is the healing. But Jesus was essentially telling him, when Jesus told him, see no more, Jesus was essentially saying to him, or telling the man, I have healed your physical body, but I am here to heal your soul. I'm not just interested with your physical body for your healing. I healed your body, I made you walk, and that is called what? That is called grace. That is called grace. That is called free grace. And it is only through this grace that you will live a holy life. Why do we say that? Look at this. He says, say no more. Then Jesus said that nothing worse may happen to you. All right. Let's try to understand this. I mean, imagine this. Can there be anything worse than being an invalid for 38 years? I'm 37. I am, I'm like close to 38. I'm turning 38 this year. Imagine if you're 13. Some of you, you're 40 year old, you're 38, 39, and some of you, you already have your own house. You've been on your job for like, what, 20 years or 10 years maybe? 15 years? You have at least some money in the bank. All right? You lost your crypto. You have your own motorcycle. You have at least a fiancé maybe, a girlfriend, or still praying. Come on now. But my point here is, at this junction of your life, you have accomplished quite a lot. Imagine this man who has been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus tells him, see no more or something worse will happen to you. But I'm like, duh, what worse could ever happen to me? So what is Jesus talking about? This is an interesting story. What is Jesus talking about so that nothing worse will happen to me? That's why I'm telling you, this isn't just about healing. Turn your Bibles first to John chapter 5. Look at John chapter 5, in the same chapter. So, we're covering John chapter 1 down to verse 18. Now, I want you to look into John chapter 5, verse 25. Look, same scenario, same setting. Here's what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's now here, he says, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28, 29. Look at this. Do not marvel at this, he said. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. From a story in Bethesda, Jesus now starts talking about what? Resurrection. So it's a resurrection story all along. So when Jesus was saying, sin no more, my friend, because something worse may happen to you. In essence, what Jesus was saying, I don't want you to race towards condemnation. He was actually talking about what? He was talking about the final judgment. The worst thing that could ever happen to a man is to be raised to judgment only to face the consequences of his sin. 
That's the worst thing that Jesus was talking about here. To rise to the resurrection of judgment. And Jesus was actually pointing to that when he starts talking to this man. So, in essence, this story, yes, is about healing. Amen? Anyone who's praying to the Lord for physical healing? Many of us. This story is a picture of physical healing. But, it doesn't end there. A larger aspect of this is talking about what? The healing of our soul. And that is the goal of Jesus here. So, allow me to say a few things for a while. What's the implication of this for those who are disabled, who have diseases? How do we deal with that in this point right here? Following the story, there were a plethora of invalids, yet Jesus healed just one man. Everybody say, one man. Jesus heals just one man. Jesus disappears. He withdraws. He leaves behind what? Hundreds of invalid. He talks to this person and tells the person, see no more. Live a life of holiness. What is Jesus saying? What is this all about? This is giving us a picture that in the first coming of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, in His first coming, the world simply received a foretaste of His healing power. That was just a foretaste of His healing power. And I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. If you have relatives who are ill right now, and then you preach the gospel to them, you keep praying for them, I want you to understand this. Full healing. Everybody say, full healing. Full healing comes in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not everyone might be healed in this lifetime. Guess what? People who have disabilities, they might die and they're still disabled. In the same way, all of us here will die at one point in our life, isn't it? I want us to understand these two things. Full healing and perfect wholeness comes when Jesus comes again for His bride. And that is the church that is you and me. In essence, Jesus is saying, yes, physical healing is important. But everlasting life is far more substantial and important than your current healings. His ministry actually points to the day. You know what's interesting? What's another interesting thing that we find here? It's interesting because Jesus does this on a Sabbath. And that's interesting. You know why? Because Sabbath, what is Sabbath? Sabbath is rest. And Jesus does this on a Sabbath. You know what that tells us? It gives us a picture that God doesn't take a day off. Doesn't take a day off so that you can rest in Him. Jesus knows you. Jesus cares for you. He's a God of grace, God of mercy. And He has the power and the ability to do something about our situation. I did say a while ago that this is simply a microcosm of a broader spiritual reality. What's the broader spiritual reality? Kasi ito po, kwento to. Totoong nangyari. Kwento, recorded ni John. What's the broader spiritual reality? You know what the broader spiritual reality is? Here's the broader spiritual reality. All of us are invalids. 
All of us are invalids. We are all invalids. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us that for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of the Lord. We are all spiritually lame, spiritually paralyzed, spiritually blind. And I will not say holy or part, more of holy. We are all spiritual invalid. And our healing only comes from the Lord. Remember, I told you a while ago that Jesus does His first miracle that involves water, this involves water. And it's interesting because the man was invalid and his complaint was, no one brings me to the water, isn't it? No one carries me to the water. In essence, what was Jesus saying? You don't need someone like that because I am the living water. I am now the one who's coming to you. I draw you to myself so that you will encounter the ultimate healing for your soul. And I want you to understand this. I know of so many people who are sick. I know of so many people who are suffering from different kinds of illnesses. And of course, we do pray for them. But ultimately, ultimately, we know and understand that we ought to point them to the living water. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse 14 for a while. Look at this. After this, Jesus found him in the temple. You know why that is interesting? He has been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus heals him. Right? Jesus heals him. Guess what? Guess what? He doesn't go straight to his family. Doesn't go, hey mom, look at this mom. Doesn't go to his siblings, to his barcada. Hey, I can now walk. He doesn't go to them. He goes straight to the temple to do what? To give thanks to the Lord. Amen. To worship God. True enough, a person who has fully understand what Christ has done for him will always come before the presence of God in deep communion and will worship and praise Him all his life. Amen. And I pray that this is the same thing that's going to happen in your life. Are you a person who's full of thanksgiving to the Lord? Have you thanked the Lord for the meal that you had a while ago? Have you thanked the Lord for the small miracles that you've had the past couple of weeks? Do you folks realize that the Lord sustaining and keeping you is a picture of His miracle? That is why every single day we come before God in thanksgiving. We always praise His name. We worship Him in plenty or in luck. In the mountains and in the valleys, we will praise and worship the Lord. Amen. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.